Maranatha, that was the prayer of the early Christians. Maranatha, our Lord, come. And that's our prayer too. Que el Señor venga. Es nuestra oración. It's a pleasure to greet all of you this morning. My name is Russ Siders. For those of you who don't know me, I'm privileged to be a part of this family, this community of people who are seeking after Jesus Christ and his plan for our lives. Uh, mi nombre es Russ Siders. Es un placer conocer a todos y, y estoy aquí pues, de parte, como parte de esta familia de Dios. And I'm so grateful that I, it is a family. Uh, we have people from all different backgrounds and all different cultures and languages and generations and and. Speaking of generations, we want the next generation to know of the love of God. That's why we have children in worship time right now. Uh, and so we want to send out our boys and girls to that time. Thank you, boys and girls, for being a part of this family. Queremos enviar a los niños al tiempo de niños en adoración. That's boys and girls from three years of age to fifth grade. And they're going to hear God's word. And I think Greg said it last week. They just are going back around. Having been through Revelation, now going into Genesis, we just keep going through the Bible as a church. And uh, as we prepare for our time in uh, the Bible this morning, I first want to highlight something. You know, my wife and I have been talking, you know, it's, it's time to get some things straightened up. You know, you got to do your taxes, right? Yeah. Got to do your will. My wife and I have been saying, you know, we need to update that son of a gun. Uh, you know, things like that. Hay que hacer los impuestos, hay que mirar el legado de uno. But as a church, we've got to do some of those things sometimes too. One of those things is that we, as a part of a new group called the Alliance of Reformed Churches, we need to update our bylaws. That's kind of our structure for governing. Tenemos que actualizar los reglamentos de la iglesia. Last month, we had an initial vote. That vote uh, was in favor of updating the bylaws, but our bylaws say we have to have two votes. We have to make doubly sure we want to do this. So the 19th of March, in two weeks after worship, we're asking for all Sunrise Mission partners to, to uh, if at all possible, be present for that second vote regarding the bylaws. Uh, el 19 de marzo vamos a tener un segundo voto en cuanto a, las, a los reglamentos. Ya aprobamos una vez, hay que aprobarlas. Hay que aprobarlos dos veces. So if you need more information, we should have in the back copies of those suggested or recommended changes that we want to make. And if you're not going to be able to be present on the 19th, we do also have an absentee voting system for our mission partners. And there are ballots for that in the back as well. Hay boletas para los que no pueden estar presentes y quieren votar, aunque sean ausentes. So with that, we're going to be turning, as John, uh, Jonathan said, to... Revelation chapter 17. I can't believe how far we're going. We're, we're, it's almost like we're around turn three, okay, almost. And, and we're not on the home stretch yet, but wow, we're running. Estamos corriendo casi hasta la, hacia la recta final. But um, our focus today, as Jonathan said, is chapter 17. I'm just going to start with a portion, and it's verses 3 through 6. Vamos, comenzar, vamos a comenzar leyendo versículos 3 a 6. So... Um, I'm going to start reading in English, then we'll read it in Spanish, and we'll be obviously looking at other verses as we go along. This is a spirit-inspired vision that John has, the writer, and therefore this is God's word. Es una, una visión inspirada del Espíritu y por eso es la palabra de Dios. And this is what it says. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. 
The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Luego el ángel me llevó en el espíritu a un desierto y allí vi a una mujer montada en una bestia escarlata. La bestia estaba cubierta de nombres blasfemos contra Dios y tenía siete cabezas y diez cuernos. La mujer estaba vestida de púrpura y escarlata y adornada con oro, piedras preciosas y perlas. Tenía en la mano una copa de oro llena de abominaciones y de la inmundicia de sus adulterios. En la frente llevaba escrito un nombre misterioso. La gran Babilonia, madre de las prostitutas y de las abominables idolatrías de la tierra. Vi que la mujer se había emborrachado con la sangre de los santos y de los mártires de Jesús. Al verla, quedé sumamente asombrado. So, they were an intimidating opponent, and they came from an intimidating place. Eran un oponente intimidante de un lugar intimidante. This intimidating opponent I'm talking about was the hockey team from the Soviet Union. Era el equipo de hockey sobre hielo de la Unión Soviética. And during a 12-year stretch in the 70s and 80s, the Soviet Union hockey team was unbeatable. They, they for 12 years, didn't lose a single game. Over three different Olympic games, international play, they hadn't lost once. Durante 12 años y tres olimpiadas no habían perdido ni una sola vez. Now, 10 days before the 1980 Olympics, they played in an exhibition game in New York City. Diez días antes de las Olimpiadas en 1980, jugaron una exhibición. Their opponent, Team USA. Jugaron contra los Estados Unidos. Now, Team USA was very different. Team USA was just a bunch of college boys, about 21 years of age. And they were, they were wet behind the ears, as you say. Eran unos muchachos de la Universidad de 21 años. And that night, in this exhibition game, as expected, the Soviet machine just ran right over them, trampled them, killed them, as we say in sports. They won by a score of 10 to 3. Aquella noche, la máquina soviética atropelló a los americanos de 10 a 3. The Soviets were the best in the world. Everybody knew it. Those American boys knew it. Los soviéticos eran los mejores del mundo. They were bigger and they were better. Eran más grandes y mejores. And, and those American boys were standing in awe of these Soviet players with their, with their bright red uniforms, their big muscles, representing the communist empire. Los americanos estaban asombrados ante los soviéticos con sus uniformes rojas del imperio comunista. Just two weeks later, however, the script flipped. Dos semanas después, algo cambió. It was during the Olympic Games. And at that point, 
everything changed. That night, those American boys pulled off an upset. They beat the Soviet Union four to three. Los americanos ganaron en contra de la Unión Soviética cuatro a tres. How did they do it? It was called the miracle on ice. Se llamaba el milagro sobre hielo. What happened? What changed? A lot of theories about that. But later on, somebody said something that I think is worth noting. They said the first time those American boys were in awe of the Soviets. La primera vez estaban asombrados ante los soviéticos. The second time they played, those American boys were not in awe of them. They stood in awe of no one that night. La segunda vez no estaban asombrados ante los soviéticos y no estaban asombrados ante nadie. Now, I share that story with you. It may be familiar to some. Because as we look into chapter 17 of the book of Revelation, I, I can't help but think about that story because what we have here in chapter 17 is an intimidating vision. It's an intimidating vision of an intimidating power that comes from an intimidating place. Aquí hay una visión intimidante de un lugar, intimidante de un poder, intimidante. Now, I want to set the scene a little bit. Last week, Greg uh, just so well explained to us the seven bowls of God's wrath, the kind of the final outpouring of God's judgment and what that's going to look like towards the end. Uh, Greg nos explicó las copas de la ira de Dios. We've had the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and now the seven bowls of God's wrath. God is going to make things right. Dios va a poner las cosas bien. But here in chapter 17, it's almost like we get a close-up picture of one of the uh, intended targets of God's wrath. Aquí vemos lo que es el blanco, uno de los blancos de la ira de Dios. John here in verse 1 is shown a woman. She's sitting on many waters. Hay una mujer sentada sobre muchas aguas. And then in verse 2, it says this, With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery. And the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Con ella cometieron adulterio los reyes de la tierra. Y los habitantes de la tierra se embriagaron con el vino de su inmoralidad. And so there's this woman there. And then all of a sudden in verse 3, John is whisked away by the Spirit of God. He's snatched away and he finds himself in a desert. And he sees this woman up close in living color. Después está arrebatado Juan por el Espíritu a un desierto. And this woman is sitting there, this time not on, seven, uh, on, on waters, but she's sitting on seven heads of a beast. There's this scarlet beast with seven heads, ten horns. We've seen this beast before. Hay una bestia escarlata con siete cabezas, diez cuernos. The ten horns symbolize great strength. Diez cuernos son gran fuerza. And this beast has tattoos. Tattoos all over of blasphemous names, evil names uh, of rebellion against God. Está tatuada esta bestia de nombres blasfemos en contra de Dios. Now, actually, it's interesting because if we skip down to verse 9, we see something there that helps us out. In versículo 9 hay algo ahí. It says, this calls for wisdom. You need to understand who this beast is and who this woman is. The seven heads of the beast are actually seven hills. Las siete cabezas de la bestia son siete colinas. Hmm. We'll get to that in a minute. But then we find a description of this woman. 
Verse 4, the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. Estaba vestida de púrpura y escarlata, adornada con oro, piedras preciosas y perlas. And she held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Tenía en la mano una copa de oro llena de abominaciones de la inmundicia de sus adulterios. And then verse 6, we're told, the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, of those who bore testimony to Jesus. Se había emborrachado con la sangre de los santos y de los mártires de Jesús. So, who is she? That's the question. ¿Quién es la mujer? Who is this woman who's dressed to the nines, right? She's dressed up in fine things and she's sitting on seven heads which are really seven hills and she's got a cup full of gunk and blood. Who is she? ¿Quién es esta mujer en siete cabezas que son siete colinas con una copa de inmundicia? On verse 5, we get the answer. Versículo 5. It says, the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. Llevaba en la frente escrito un nombre misterioso, la gran Babilonia, madre prostitutas y de las abominables idolatrias de la tierra. The mystery of who this woman is, is that she's Babylon. Ella es Babilonia. What does that mean? Who is Babylon? ¿Quién es? Well, if we go back to the Old Testament of the Bible, and we've seen in Revelation, Revelation's always going back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we find Babylon was that evil city and that evil empire that had come against the Jews, invaded Jerusalem and ransacked it and, and oppressed the people of God in that time. Babilonia era la ciudad malvada, el imperio malvado que había invadido a los judíos y los había perseguido. Well, here... Babylon is representing another evil city and another evil empire. And this evil city and this evil empire is now oppressing Christians, oppressing the people who follow Jesus and drinking up their blood and killing them. Esta, uh, ves, Babilonia es esa ciudad malvada, ese imperio malvado que está oprimiendo y persiguiendo a cristianos. In case we don't get it, verse 18 tells us who she is. Versículo 18, the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. La mujer que has visto es aquella gran ciudad que tiene poder de gobernar sobre los reyes de la tierra. Who's the great city of that time? Who is the great ruler of that time over the kings of the earth? It's, it's the city of Rome. Es la ciudad de Roma. And the beast is the Roman Empire and the evil forces from the pit of hell that are behind the Roman Empire. La bestia es Roma y las fuerzas malvadas detrás de ella. Now here's something we need to understand. The city of Rome was built on seven hills. Se construyó Roma sobre siete colinas. Did you know that? In fact, there's an ancient coin out there called the Roma Dea coin. Hay una moneda, la, la moneda Roma Dea. And take a look at this coin What you find here is you've got a woman who represents the goddess of Rome, Roma. Es la diosa o la, una mujer, Roma. And what is she sitting on? She's sitting on seven hills. 
Está sentada sobre siete colinas. She's got a sword in her hand or a knife. It's like the symbol of power and war. Tiene espada en la mano. And right beside her, if you look down to the left there, there's a beast. Hay una bestia allí. What is it? It's a she-wolf. Es un lobo de hembra. Why? Because you see, the legend was that the city of Rome was given birth by a she-wolf, by a beast. Roma pues un, un lobo de hembra le dio luz a Roma, según la leyenda. And there she is. And this is kind of a, a representation of what John is seeing here. And it says in verse 6 that when John saw all of this, when I saw her, this amazing woman, on this amazing beast, I was greatly astonished. Verse 6, al verla quedé sumamente asombrado, dice Juan. In other words, John is awestruck. He's overwhelmed. He's intimidated. Está maravillado, asombrado, intimidado, Juan. Well, John's not the only one to have that reaction to the woman and the beast. El no es el único. In fact, if we go back a little bit, a few weeks ago when we first met the beast in chapter 13, verse 3, capítulo 13, 3, there it says at the end of that verse, the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast the world was astonished el mundo entero fascinado iba tras la bestia rome is awesome rome is intimidating rome is in, is terrifying roma es asombrosa es, es algo terrible and yet in revelation 17:7 this angel speaks to john a very clear word. And the angel in verse 7 says to John, Why are you astonished? ¿Por qué te asombras? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. Yo te explicaré el misterio de esa mujer y de la bestia de siete cabezas y diez cuernos en la que va montada. In other words, the angel is basically saying to him, Don't be in awe of this woman. Don't be awestruck. I'm going to break down the mystery of what's going on here. I'll tell you what the true mystery is. It's not that she's Babylon the Great. Te voy a explicar el misterio de verdad. Verse 8, versículo 8. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. La bestia que has visto es la que antes era, pero ya no es, y esta está a punto de subir del abismo, pero va a la destrucción. You want to know the dirty little secret about the beast and about the woman? ¿Quieren saber el secreto de esta bestia, de esta mujer? The mystery, the secret, is not that the woman and this beast are awesome. It's not that they are intimidating. It's not that they are great. It's not that they are marvelous. The mystery is, is that their destruction is going to be awesome. Their destruction is going to be a thing to behold. Su destrucción va a ser algo asombrosa, una maravilla. The woman and the beast are going down. There's a saying in sports that some of us have probably heard and know. The saying goes like this, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Right? Entre más grandes son, más duro caen. And that's what the angel's trying to say here. Rome is going to go down to defeat, and it will be amazing. 
but it won't be easy. No va a ser nada fácil. In fact, at times it's going to seem impossible that these powers could ever go down. Va a ser imposible. Now, three times, it's interesting here in chapter 17, three times when it's talking about the beast, it says the beast once, uh, the beast was, now is not, and yet will also be coming. Dice tres veces, la bestia era, ya no es, y está a punto de subir, o de venir. Three times, the beast was, now is not, and is coming again. What's that all about? ¿De qué se trata? Well, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 4, you find that there's some very similar language used to talk about God. En 1.4, algo así se refiere a Dios. It says in chapter 1, verse 4, God is the one who was and who is and who is to come. Dios era, es y ha de venir. And here it's saying something similar. The beast was, is not, and is to come. Why is it saying that? Porque dice así algo de la bestia. Well, what it's saying is, is that in this plan of God, in this, in this journey, what's going to happen is that the beast is going to try to in, imitate God in order to intimidate people. La bestia imitará a Dios para intimidar a las personas. The beast is really the, in a sense, the latest and greatest incarnation of hell and evil and Satan in the world working through the structures of the Roman Empire and it will seem at times like the beast will never go down. In fact, we talked about that a few weeks ago, how it will seem that Rome will, will die but then rise again from the dead. The beast is going to try to imitate Jesus. La bestia va a parecer morir y resucitar como Jesús. It will be scary. And then it goes on to say in verses 10 and 11 that there's going to be seven kings coming out of the beast. Habrá siete reyes. And then there's going to be an eighth king who's part of the seven kings, but he's really the beast. Habrá un octavo rey que parte de los siete que es la bestia. It's a little bit hard to take in, and there's a lot of debate about what in the world is, is it talking about, right? De que se trata? Well, we can say this much. It seems to be saying that Rome will have its full share, its full complement of evil kings, evil Caesars, and then some. Seven's the number of perfection, eight is like even more, right? Roma tendrá toda su parte de reyes malvados. In fact, not only Rome. You can say there's other empires that will come. There will always be an evil empire. There will always be somehow in the earth a manifestation of the pit of hell working through human structures and, 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 and despots. There will always be some dictator out there, some, some despot, some general ruling with an iron fist, doing the beast's bidding. Siempre habrá otro dictador, otro caudillo. There will be a Hitler. There will be a Stalin. There'll be an Idi Amin. There'll be a Pol Pot. They'll, they'll just keep coming until the full complement is done. Ya vendrán reyes malvados hasta que ya hay toda la parte de estos. And then verse 12 goes on to talk about something else. It's a little hard to understand. It's talking about the beast's ten horns, which it says are really ten kings. And they're going to give power to the beast. La bestia tiene de acuerdos que son reyes que van a dar autoridad a la bestia. Again, there's a lot here to work through. But it would seem that, that 
these are talking about, at least from what Bible experts would say, is that this refers to, to rulers and regional powers in Rome that are on the fringes. They will for a time give authority to Rome, but then in the end they're going to rebel and come against Rome. Esos uh, gobernadores regionales a fin de cuentas van a rebelarse en contra de Roma. And they will come against the city. Let's look at verse 16. See if I can make it more clear. Versículo 16. It says, The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Los diez cuernos y la bestia que has visto le cobrarán odio a la prostituta, causarán su ruina y la dejarán desnuda, devorarán su cuerpo y la destruirán con fuego. Somehow it's saying that in the end, the, 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 the people that have fallen in line with Rome, the, the kings of the earth will come against Rome. They'll come against the city and Rome will go down. Estos reyes regionales van a rebelarse en contra de Roma y destruir la ciudad. Now again, there's a lot here that's hard for us to understand. But I think there's application all over the place in our world today. We got lots of kings around the world today that are serving the beast. Hay muchos reyes que sirven a la bestia. I'm not just referring to governments, no solo el gobierno, but we need to recognize the beast is behind a lot of the things going on in our world. The, the, the beast is behind uh, uh, the wars going on. Right? La bestia está detrás de las guerras. The beast is behind the materialistic uh, uh, spirit of our age. Está detrás del materialismo. The beast is behind the whole porn industry and sexual confusion and sexual immorality. And how about drug trafficking and the whole drug trade? There's a beast behind that. La bestia está detrás de la pornografía, la confusión sexual, la droga. The beast is behind all the crime that goes on. Está detrás del crimen. The beast is behind and often subtly whispering through God-defying movies and God-defying music. Not all music is against God, but you know there's music against God. There's movies against God. La bestia está detrás de la música, las películas que están en contra de Dios. The beast is behind advertising and propaganda and all of the lies that get spewed on, on, on those means, right? And again, it's subtle. You can't always tell which is which. La bestia está detrás de la publicidad, la propaganda. The beast is behind the division that gets sown on social media and the junk that goes on there. The bullying. The beast isn't everything it would seem and it's a thing to behold but here's the thing that that we we see in the end what it seems to be pointing to here is that evil is going to eat its own el mal va a devorar a los suyos somehow some way the evil of the world will turn on itself and it will come down with a great crash that's what Bible scholars believe this is pointing to. El mal del mundo se va a desplomar. Rome is coming down. Now, Rome wasn't built in a day. You've heard that saying, right? Roma no fue construida en un solo día. Well, Rome won't be destroyed in a day either. No se va a destruir en un solo día. But it will come down with a terrible crash. And we know from history it did. Rome did, Rome did fall. 
But the whole point here of chapter 17 seems to be found in verse 14. And Jonathan hinted at this. If we look at verse 14, aquí el punto del capítulo 17, versículo 14. They, the beast and the kings, will wage war against the lamb. But the lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Le harán la guerra al cordero, pero el cordero los vencerá porque es señor de señores y rey de reyes y los que están con él son sus llamados, sus escogidos y sus fieles. Here is the thing. Don't stand in awe of Rome. Don't stand in awe of the beast or the woman. No estén asombrados ante la Roma, la bestia, la mujer. They're all going down. And God is behind it too. Because it says in verse 17 even, the fact that evil attacks itself. Why? For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose. Dios ha puesto en el corazón de los malos que lleven a cabo su divino propósito. God even has the evil forces of the world under his control, and he will, in his time and his way, bring them down. So don't stand in awe of Rome. Don't stand in awe of the evil power behind Rome. The devil will be going down. Satan and hell someday will implode and collapse over the power of their own pride. Satanás va a colapsarse sobre su propia soberbia and Evil, we must understand, is not awesome. It's awful. El mal no es fantástico, es terrible. And someday, God's going to expose the evil of our world for what it is. In all of its ugly glory. And he's going to display the ultimate beauty and goodness and glory of his son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb. Dios va a desplegar uh, la gloria de Jesús, el, el Cordero, después de exponer la, la gloria fea del mal. So, in chapter 17, this is the message I think we get. While the world stands in awe of Satan's power and is often attracted to it, as God's people, we're called to wait patiently. We're to wait patiently for evil's inevitable collapse by standing in awe of one. Jesus the Lamb. Esperamos el colapso del mal estando asombrados ante uno, Jesús el Cordero. In Ephesians chapter 6, let's go there. Uh, the Apostle Paul, the early church leader Paul, pulls back the curtain a little bit and he shows us how evil is at work in our world. Pablo uh, retira la cortina en Efesios 6, 13. In verse 12, this is what he says. This is important. He says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Nuestra lucha no es en contra de seres humanos, sino contra poderes, autoridades, potestades, y contra las fuerzas espirituales malignas en las regiones celestiales. This is so important. Everything we've been saying this morning, we need to understand our struggle is not against people. Nuestra lucha no está en contra de personas. Our struggle is against the devil. Now, Satan will certainly use people to steal, kill, destroy, and lie in our world. Satanás usa las personas para robar, mentir, destruir. But 
People are not the enemy. We're not called to hate people. No somos llamados a odiar a las personas. We're not, we're not called to kill people. No somos llamados a matar a las personas. I read it in, in our Bible uh, reading this morning. Jesus said, love your enemies. And he's talking about people there. Love your enemies. We can love our enemies because our struggle's not against flesh and blood, against people. Podemos amar a nuestros enemigos, como dijo Jesús, porque la lucha no está en contra de personas. Our struggle is bigger than that. So we're not part of God's plan to hate people, to kill people. Actually, we're part of God's plan to rescue people and love people. Somos parte del plan para rescatar y amar a las personas. How do we do that? ¿Cómo? Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Fortalezcanse con el gran poder del Señor, dice en el 10. In verse 13, it says, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Pónganse toda la armadura de Dios para que cuando llegue el día malo puedan resistir hasta el fin con firmeza. So we're called to fight in a different kind of battle, to be strong in the Lord, not in ourselves. And we're called to put on the full armor of God. Ponemos la armadura de Dios. And I believe we do that when we stand in awe of Jesus. Like Jonathan said, it's about our focus. Cuando nos enfocamos y estamos asombrados ante Jesús, ponemos la armadura de Dios. In fact, the rest of Ephesians 6 talks about this armor of God, and really when you break it down, it's basically saying, put on Jesus. Wear Jesus as your protection. Pónganse a Jesús. Put on the truth of Jesus. Put on the righteousness of Jesus to protect you. Uh, uh, put on uh, the peace of Jesus. Pónganse la verdad, la justicia, la paz de Jesús. Put on the salvation of Jesus like a helmet on your head. Pónganse la salvación de Jesús. And fight with spiritual weapons. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians 10, we don't fight and wage war like the world does. Our weapons are not physical, they're spiritual. Nuestras armas no son físicas. And so what's our weapon? It says here our weapon is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. The Word who's become flesh, Jesus, and the Word that He has given us, the Bible. Luchamos con la espada del Espíritu que es la palabra de Dios. These are spiritual weapons for a spiritual battle. And in the end, it's about standing in awe of just one, Jesus. It's about worshiping him and witnessing to him. Those are the two key words we're learning every week, it seems, in Revelation. Se trata de adorar a Jesús y dar testimonio de él. We are to worship and witness as a part of God's plan to see people rescued from this present evil age. And so the, the challenge, I think, for us coming away from chapter 17 is how to grasp Like Jonathan was saying, how to get our focus on how big Jesus is. He is way bigger, way more awesome, way more glorious, way more real than anything around us that seems to be so incredibly important. Jesús es más grande y más real que cualquier cosa. And he is that Pantocrator we talked about in chapter 1. He's got everything in his grasp, even the forces of evil. He's got him around his little pinky. He can do what he wants. And he will accomplish his purpose. Jesús tiene todo en su mano. The beast, 
is no match for Jesus. So here's the question. How can we this week keep Jesus big in the windshield? How do we keep Jesus big before us? ¿Cómo tener a Jesús como grande frente a nosotros? The best answer I can come up with is any godly way we can, right? Any godly way we can. Uh, it, it's about prayer, la oración. In fact, Ephesians 6 says, pray in the Spirit at all times. Oren en el Espíritu. Prayer is one of the ways you keep Jesus. You realize he's there. Prayer is not just asking God for stuff. Prayer is like, I got to see Jesus. That's why we're praying on Wednesday nights during Lent and Sunday nights. And I hope through the day, right? Praying without ceasing. Por eso oramos. It's about worship, about singing his praises, which we've done this morning and we're going to continue to do in a minute. Se trata de adorar a Jesús. You know, when you praise and sing and, and, and lift up the name of Jesus, it's like there's this big magnifying glass getting in front of you and you're seeing Jesus clearer, more clearly for how great he is. Es como una gran lupa donde vemos magnificado a Jesús. It's about being in God's word. It's about reading. But also I think it's about memorizing. It's about having this word in our head and in our heart so that it comes out of us. Like Jesus, when he was tempted, he said, it is written, worship God alone. It's about getting that in our heads and hearts. Se trata de tener la palabra de Dios en nosotros. So uh, in just a moment, we're going to join in a time of worship. We're going to sing, and I hope that's an opportunity to keep Jesus big in front of you, to be in awe of him. And I hope through this week we can go forward and understand that the forces around us may seem intimidating. But again, that phrase holds true. The bigger they are, the harder they're going to fall before the feet of Jesus Christ. Entre más grandes son, más van a caer ante los pies de Jesús. So what I'd like to invite us to do right now is to confess and profess our faith by using the Apostles' Creed. And it declares that we believe Jesus is coming back. And it helps us to see how big he is. So would you stand? Vamos a ponernos de pie y vamos a recitar el credo de los apóstoles.